Hello everyone, and welcome back to The Longest Night, a Game of Thrones show in conjunction with our friends at the Narth subreddit. My name is Rob, and if you're tuning into this episode, it means you are here for part two of our interview with Miltos Yerolemu, who played Sirio Pharrell on Game of Thrones in season one. If you want to check out part one first, then go ahead. I'll leave a link in the show notes. And if you want to subscribe and maybe check out some of our older episodes, then you can find where to do that by finding our podcast homepage on whichever app that you're using to find your podcasts. Uh, just to warn you, this interview will be full of spoilers for all eight seasons of Game of Thrones. Uh, continue from this point at your peril. I have warned you, don't blame me if you get spoiled. And if I seem a little quiet during this intro, I am sorry. My partner is currently sleeping off the side effects of her first COVID-19 vaccine just in the next room. Uh, we'll be back to normal volumes for our season four premiere. I can promise you that. Other than that, enjoy the second part of our interview with Miltosh. Um, so I can presume that you carried on. When you left the show, you carried on watching. I watched every single episode when it came out, yeah. Straight away, like you were, I mean, because you're... I was you, a fan, yeah. I yeah. Mean, I find it much easier to watch shows when I'm not in them, to be honest. Well, I was thinking about more. this, um, whether you, because um, you're saying, like, you know, you found it a bit difficult to watch yourself, but then when the first season ends, you can kind of watch it very differently. You can watch it with a completely different set of eyes. Yeah. Um, it was something that uh, Kit Harrington actually said um, uh, about 18 months ago when he said he still has never, ever seen the final season. He's never watched it. Mm. Um, and so there's yeah. loads of actors who I did conventions with who would always like go, I don't know how to answer half these questions because I don't even watch this show. <laughs> <I> literally <laughs> don't watch it. And it's not uncommon, but, you know, it's kind of tough. You know, the the the. the it's this long hours, long, long work. I mean, the pandemic has given us all lots of time to watch shows, but normally I don't really have time to watch a lot of shows. I watch movies, you know, mm. that's, that's what I, ha- but I have watched some great shows while I, you know, in the last year and a half. So what have you been watching in the last year and a half? I asked Sam this question, so I'll ask you too. <laughs> raised, raised by wolves, which isn't out in the UK, but is sensational so original i was talking about it on another interview this morning with some australian people and uh, it's like it's about the death of christianity but set in space it's so wild it's wild it's uh if you get a chance watch it it's it's a fantastic uh science fiction tv show i think it's made by hbo um i obviously watched the mandalorian which i loved i thought it was Mm. really fantastic um, I'm watching Resident Alien, which is with Alan Tudyk, and that is so funny. He is okay. amazing. And One Division, which is a show that I mm. had no interest in watching, but I have found so exciting and so original and so witty. So um, The Stand, the new adaptation of The Stand uh i mean god it's it's endless i've been really i've been watching a lot of tv and it's been been great most of it has been fantastic so you finish uh you finish working on um game of thrones i guess like 2010 2011 um and then it goes out in 2011 it's a big success and it carries on when do you pick it up again not not immediately it took about three years for it to really yes yeah yeah sorry i did mean uh, yeah no, no, no. It's because in, in the UK, it really, people just thought it was pants. I remember really? reading the review. Yeah, in the review, the reviews when it first came out was like, this is all a bit like Lord of the Rings, but with kind of northern actors. And it's all a bit, it's all a bit trying too hard. I remember the reviews. It was like, yeah, the Americans liked it much more, but they kind of knew the source material much better. God, what a reductive way to look at the show. Anyway, oh, um... <laughs> it, it's always like that. But 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 what, what was really really interesting is that it was a it wasn't a slow burner. But I I was very aware that when it hit season three, that's when everyone was like they wouldn't stop talking about it. This is when people started kind of writing about it all the time. When did you start 
carrying on the show did you maybe leave it a couple of years and then go oh that was a nice job or then did you pick it up like straight away 2012 season two episode one premiere like were you straight yeah on i'd it? watch it i watch it when it came out so uh, i would um i was uh, i was really into it i was just fascinated to see where the story went that was for me and i was team uh stark so i <laughs> i was very i kind of felt invested you know yeah. um yeah no i i was watching it from the beginning all the time Oh, that's that, that's that's great. I and mean, it's always nice to know that a show you're a fan of has people on it who are fans like you are. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Um, so over time, uh, through the many uh, the eight seasons that it had until maybe you know the very end when people mainly maybe you know the show would cut to black and people definitely got the picture. Um, I don't know if you ever came across any theories about Sirio Pharrell coming back. Like we didn't see him die, so he's not dead. Is he, um, is it Jack and Nagar? Is, is Euron really uh, Syria for <laughs> Um, I don't know. Did you ever come across those kinds of theories? Yeah, when of you course. Were, I, yeah. I knew those. I knew those from the very beginning, the Jack and Hagar ones, because they were created from the books. The books had created mm. that. that. Um, yeah, I was very aware of them. And, and of course, for the nerds who are watching this, the, um, the creators did did a, a kind of kind of quite naughty thing <laughs> you know i was telling you about the episode where i say the god of death which doesn't exist in the books sirio has nothing to do with the faceless men he has nothing to do with uh the house of red black and white what is it called red and white. yeah the house of black and white yeah yeah black and white he has nothing to do with that he is the the first sword of Bravos. He's the Sea Lord's bodyguard. They they don't it, in the book. It's never mentioned that he doesn't mention the religion in any way whatsoever. But what David and Dan did in that episode where they created it from nothing is they put in the line about there is only one God and His name is Death and is there only one thing that that is what Jack and Hagar would say. Mm-hmm. That is what the Faceless Men would say. That is never what Sirio, even in the books, has said. And by doing that, it's an Easter egg for the fans who know the books because they would they immediately went, what? What? <laughs> that was like, that, Sirio actually referred to the thing that that is what we all talk about. So they trolled, they trolled the fans in that respect. So what it is, what they did is that they create, they, they allowed the, the, the myth and the theories to live. Hmm. They did not like them. That's not like them. They're not ones to tease the audience. No way. And and it's, and it, and you know, they were very happy for that to play out because of course it keeps, you know, it keeps people interested and invested and, and, and it's, it's a great, it's great, but, uh, but you know, it was cheeky. And of course I never knew this at the time. I've only learned this after reading the books and, you know, you know, you kind of like going to enough conventions. You speak to enough people who know this stuff really well, and you kind of formulate all of this stuff. And, and uh, so, yeah, so so that I think that was kind of quite cheeky and uh, and and cute of them to do that too. Um, speaking of um, conventions and stuff like that, um, I'm kind of curious because we don't want to make you do it, and we're not going to ask you. But how many people come up to you and ask you to say things to them, like? cool can you do the god of death line or oh could you just do the accent or could you say my name in your accent or how many times does this happen at conventions all the time (laughs) all the time and now i make money out of it i haven't been working of course and and i've been doing these shout outs on cameo yeah and uh and one of the big things is that is that that's what they want me to do and the thing is it's like it's not even just a joke i i have people during the pandemic uh um nurses and doctors who would uh write you know ask me to 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 do a shout out for a patient who is who is uh in their care who are who are at the end of their lives or who are going through cancer treatments i mean and even marines who say that we we say that line before we go out you know to do something really really dangerous it's incredibly humbling and and sometimes I find it very difficult to deal with that kind of thing because I'm only an actor and someone wrote those lines for me. But for people, for for some people who are really in situations of of extreme 
uh, intensity and and trauma and uh, where they where they really are facing death literally it means everything to them and I find it incredibly moving and humbling and and it reminds me that that even when I think my profession is fickle and uh, superficial and doesn't really isn't the same as a doctor saving someone's life it, it sometimes can be so you know that's that's kind of important for me to always remember that we don't really know the effect we have on other people until we face you know until people tell tell us you know so so that that that's that's very uh, it's a thing isn't it so so it reminds me because I I find it sometimes I find it so makes me feel very self-conscious and and I don't want to come across like like flippant about it uh so it's nice to be reminded that it matters to people sometimes well that's I think that's a wonderful attitude to have actually because you know there are certain it's something that um just as a random example it's something that musicians go through sometimes I think I remember um it was a long time ago now I was speaking to um a few members of um do you remember the band one republic they were quite big in the 2000s yeah, yeah, yeah. I do, and yeah. then they did counting stars i spoke to them um after a gig that they did and they did a version of apologize which was their big hit and they did it they stretched it out over like seven minutes and they did loads of strange formal arrangements with it and i asked them and i said how come you're doing that now and they just kind of said well to be honest, they said like you know we've played this song a thousand times and it's kind of all we're known for and we want to learn how to keep loving it and learn how to keep doing it because that's what we're known for and we want to be known for other things but that's what people keep asking us to do and they said so in order to keep the positive attitude about the song and remember what it's given us he said you know this is our way of paying tribute to it which is that a song is not uniform you can change it and move it and do all sorts of things with it and it was really nice to know that um a band that I absolutely loved at the time uh were taking that kind of attitude to because I guess it is difficult when you're in a profession and it's your job to do something that maybe your connection with the material that you're performing you realize that the people you're performing it for might end up having a deeper and more obsessive connection with it than you did and sometimes it might be hard to always put on your smiliest face for the thousandth person who comes up and asks you the same question or like with this podcast like you know I'm sure that every question <laughs> we asked you in the first bit of the interview and the questions that will probably I'll ask you in a minute you've answered them maybe a hundred times over and you kind of have them rolling around in your mind um, I mean I used to get a lot of taxis when I was younger because I had some health issues and I couldn't really walk very far and I had a script prepared for the questions that cab drivers would ans- wow. ask me about wow. what I would it was it was something that built up over time and about what I was doing at uni where I was going you know where I lived that sort of thing and I really get that I really get that I think you know, and then we do we do we do, we absolutely do do that but it, it it's not um it's like being asked, you know, do you want to know the questions in advance? I don't. Okay. I don't. I'm going to take the risk because for me, having a conversation with you like this is, is me being, it's just having a conversation. I, I, you know, it's like I, I will un- answer your questions as openly and honestly as, as, as I can, you know. And, and, uh, and like I said, I do enjoy talking about it because I'm really proud of, my, uh, of, of the things I've done. Um, and, and I think it's, I never take it for granted how lucky I am that I get to do something which is, is, it, it means a lot to me and can sometimes mean a lot to other people. And, and sometimes I do forget it because it, it's, it's a, it's a terrible profession sometimes. <laughs> it really is. It's like, when will you ever work again? You know, are you ever doing the work that you really want to do? Um, you know, oh, there's so many questions. There's so many people that I know who who deserve to, 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 to do so much better than they're doing in their careers because they're much better actors than even I am. But so much of it relies on luck and just being in the right place and having the right look for the right... You know, it's all... Everything is so... Uh, transitory and and um, uh, and fleeting sometimes, so it can really get you down. Uh, 
especially at the moment where there's so little work for, for actors, there's just nothing around. It's, it's really tough. So, so I never take it for granted that, that it's, it's something special and to always appreciate the things that you've done. And I, I would say, you know, I try to do that as much as I can in life. It's not always a very easy, and I do, you know, sometimes it's, it's not, it's not very easy at all, but, but I will always try and remember it, you know, and always try and, and so it gives me great pleasure to talk about these things because they, I'm really proud of it. I'm especially Game of Thrones. I'm incredibly proud of it. Yeah, you should be. No matter what I thought of the last two seasons, well, which we'll we're going to get on to. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I, I guess, you know, before we jump into those, I, I did want to ask you, I guess, because I guess you went on, it seems like you've alluded to the fact that you read all of the, the books um no after... i didn't read all of them oh right okay i read the first three okay so but before... kind of four books isn't it yes in the yeah with the door stopper size yeah. but um i was curious um because in that interview in 2012 that you did you without saying it you alluded to the red wedding and um because you were sort of saying that fans should be looking ahead to season three it's uh you're gonna be he said just when you think this show couldn't surprise you um, so I guess, you know, there's a couple of moments in season three that that could be, but I think the Red Wedding is the big one. Um, and I guess, you know, over the course of the show, how, up until season six, maybe we'll talk about seven, eight and a block at the end. Um, how do you feel about where the show went just in terms of the size and the popularity and stuff? Because when you're filming season one, you, you know, you say it's HBO, it's a big product and it's going to be a big you know a big deal and it's going to be very serious but watching it grow not just size in terms of um audience but in terms of budget and scale and cast and it just get, seems to just expand how i mean how, how did you feel watching it i guess um you know how do you feel about the first six seasons generally like favorite moments it's, it's very it's you know it's, it shows you just uh, what happens when you have a, a, a studio that really believes in the work and is willing to put its money where its mouth is. And uh, I've been talking to people about, you know, trying to put on projects, you know, making TV shows and films is, is a very long-winded business. Yeah. And, uh, you know, half the time, you can have a great, great product. You have a great script. You can have a great team of people on board. But what you really need is uh, is an advocate, you know, someone who has clout, who really believes in the project, not as a money-making exercise, but who believes in the creative pull of it, you know, who is willing to fight for it when, when producers or money people start saying this is great but maybe we could just change this to this and you need that advocate who who, who has clout to go no 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 this is he how we're going to do it yeah and that is tough but when you have someone like george R. R. martin and you have someone like uh, the, the the dave and the dans of this world who uh no matter what you think of them now they they are exceptionally talented people who really knew exactly why they were making this tv show they knew what the tone was going to be like they knew what they you know they knew the story they wanted to tell and how they were going to tell it and a lot of the exciting stuff came from stuff that they were writing it wasn't necessarily pulled directly from the books but that you know like for example the scene um that you know my my scene episode six where where there's a lot of new material in it uh they had to write more stuff for the first season because the book, you know, it's like, it's, it's weird to say it now because it never happened again. They, but they, they, we realised that we were under on some episodes. So they turn up to, um, to lovely John, who was playing Samwell, and go, oh, we just got a monologue to, to learn for tomorrow. Do you mind doing it? Because we're a little bit under. And so this is a funny <laughs> monologue for you. It's great character building. And he'd just have to learn it overnight. And it was like, oh, Mikey, should you imagine that? You know, like just given this whole monologue to learn because th th there wasn't enough material in the first season. So that is, that is uh, something that obviously didn't last because, you know, the book's got thicker and longer and the and more convoluted to try and kind of un untangle what the story would be but um 
you know, the material is great. Uh, you know, George's writing is so good and so detailed and the world building is so vivid that it's kind of easy. The hardest thing is what you take out, not what mm. you put in. Um, and the characters, you know, obviously the the, the way that Jamie develops um, and even, you know, um, uh, Sansa, you know, how these characters develop is is fantastic. And when it comes to TV shows, is like everything's there. Um, so I think they did a fantastic job of, of adapting words. The hardest characters are Jon Snow and Danny, I in my opinion, because in the books, most of the stuff they are, they that that, that exists for them is internal monologue. Mm-hmm. You know, it's how they experience the world. It's how they think of the world around them and their experiences. And it's written in some kind of internal monologue, but especially in the first few books, there's not a lot of, for them to do. A lot of stuff happens to them, especially Danny. And it's really tough to try and get that, that onto the screen in such a visual, physical way. And, uh, and, and, it, and it, it, But the material was strong enough to, to carry that through. But that's that's tough. Those two characters were tough when they had little to do. Do you remember Danny? Like, literally, when is she literally going to cross the the waters? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many seasons are we going to be just treading water? Mm-hmm. But that is kind of part of her story, and her story that development is is hard to do in a TV show. But they did a good job of it, and they really developed that character. Um, but yeah, like I said, Jon Snow and Danny were the two. T- the toughest characters and of course the biggest protagonists as well so they had to yeah. get it right um i don't know if this is the case but because you did all of your scenes with her and one with uh, sean bean whether you felt particularly um i mean obviously you know i and Maisie williams are different people but seeing the things that i did were you do you think yourself or personally or whether like Syria would have been proud or whatever, like how did you feel a particular ownership or protectiveness over the things that Aya slash Maisie went on to do in the show? Yeah, I think so. But only in as far as uh, from an audience point of view, because I think what's really interesting is that with, with her kill list, the, the interesting thing about that is, is that, and the reason why I really liked what they did with her art, and her revenge story is that normally the Hollywood treatment of a revenge story is that you're 100% behind it, right? Something terrible happens to the protagonist and the, the satisfaction is them getting, <laughs> getting their, their, yeah. their revenge, right? They don't let you do, they don't, they don't let you enjoy her revenge. And it's very important because it it's destructive it changes her uh, the metaphor of taking the face off is is exactly that it's a metaphor for 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 her transformation and she doesn't become herself anymore and something dies when she goes to bravos and uh that moment when she is when after brienne fights with the hound and she leaves him for dead the the way that she plays that scene is fantastic because you those, those two have had such a relationship all season and she doesn't give a shit about him no. and she doesn't she doesn't trust him he's on her her kill list still and and so she leaves him to die and i think that is what is so good about her story it it traumatizes her and changes her so much that you don't get the satisfaction of of wanting the revenge to to take. I mean, of course, there are certain ones like Merrin Trant, and but 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 they what they do is that they push it so far to such a, an extent that it's hard to enjoy it. Even the death of Merrin Trant is so violent, so grotesque that that they, they it's, it's challenging you all the time. And a good story should do that. A good story can't be. When you kill someone, it's okay, especially a young girl. Remember, she's still a young girl. And so 
I really liked how they dealt with that. And I like how they deal with a lot of those storylines. In fact, if there's any disappointment for what happens in the last two seasons is that they don't have quite the same level of complexity, which is the reason why we love it. The reason why I love Game of Thrones is because it's complex. It doesn't let you sit on your ass and just enjoy it. It <laughs> challenges your, your perception of it. And all good stories should do that. And and yeah, particularly with Arya, that that for me is, is is really telling that that it shouldn't be satisfying when she kills those people, and it's not. It changes her. My um, I mean, I totally agree. And actually, that season five finale when she does get Mirren Trant through the eyes, both eyes, uh, stuffs his mouth, uh, slits his throat, all that horrible stuff. That is also the episode where we get Cersei's uh, Walk of Atonement, which again, at the start yeah. of the scene, it just lets you think, yeah, finally getting her comeuppance. And then right yeah. by the end of it, you're like, don't hurt my precious Cersei. Her feet are bleeding. Yeah. Please leave her yeah. alone. And yeah. yeah, that's, I mean, it's... When she gets her revenge. Yes. When she gets her revenge, when she blows up the Citadel, I have to say I cheered because I was like, quite right. <laughs> but, you know, you wouldn't expect that. You wouldn't, you know, because she's been terrible and she's done terrible things. And yet that is why it works. That's why it's good, because it is, it, it twists your emotions. Well, I thought that, um, I don't want to, I mean, it's, it, that is, to be honest, that is what I always found and still find to be so rewarding about, every season of the show really which is that it forces you to understand bad things and it forces you to live in the psychology of people who do terrible things and i think that right until uh, i mean i don't know if it's just my personal opinion i'm sure there are other people out there who share this but i think that that is something that they do carry through until the end and that's something that i have i mean i wouldn't say my knowledge of the show is encyclopedic or anything like that but it's obsessive like i've rewatched this show several 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 times and it's a world that as much as i wouldn't want to live in it because i wouldn't last two seconds <laughs> um, it's you know uh, in terms of an immersive fantasy universe and with characters that you want to emotionally follow it's what it was always best at alongside all the stuff that ian mcshane kind of described a bit cheaply as uh, tits and dragons but that's the other part of it which is that it's transgressive and it pushes buttons and it gives you the big spectacles and it gives you the fire and the explosions and whatnot and it was this kind of it was popcorn entertainment but it was also something a bit deeper too and i think the way they managed to combine that when they had the budget to do so um is just something that i i think will always treasure and will always feel so personally protective of because it came to mean a lot to me but i was i was wondering because you were um no longer in the cast after season one were you then because like as this as the leaks and spoilers got worse towards the end of the show like like the the lengths that people would go to to try and leak things off the set and as they had to get more and more protective and like they stopped making paper scripts they started doing it on like password protected iPads and things like that. I, was I got one... all 10 episodes. When we did the first yeah. season, we all got 10 episodes, all printed up, all sent to us. Yeah, that didn't last long. No. <laughs> yeah, from like season five onwards, I think, when um, the first four or five episodes leaked onto the internet because they all got sent around to journalists. That was the last time they ever did screeners. And it was the last time they ever did anything like that. And then there were people trying to break onto the set to take yeah, pictures. Yeah, and, yeah, oh, yeah. God, like, people have to remember, right? You just, like, as much as you love a show, you are still a customer. Like, you still have to be a bit at arm's length. But um, I was wondering, though, did they kind of call you up before the long night and sort of say, listen, the line that inspires Arya to go and save the universe is something that you, your character gave her, or were you sat on your sofa that night and going, Oh my God, they've done a huge callback or what, what was the situation? I was in Texas. I was Texas. in Texas watching it with 2000 people at a fan convention. Oh my God. They, they, it, was, it was coincided. They were screening that episode 
uh, in the evening and we all turned up to watch it. It was me, Richard Brake, who plays mm-hmm. the Night King. Yeah. And uh, who else is there? A couple of other people. And <laughs> we were all watching it and I literally couldn't believe my eyes. No, I had no idea. It was a complete surprise. Yeah, it was bonkers. It was I bonkers. like the fact that they kept it as a surprise. Yeah. They um, didn't even know until about like two years before they were going to do that. You know, they, 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 yeah. they, they, they hadn't, they didn't even realise it when they wrote that scene. And remember, like I said, they, that was a made up scene that didn't exist in the books. So, mm. so the God of Death. Yeah, that made sense. It's amazing how they managed to blend it into a character, really, because I wasn't one of those people who was disappointed that Arya killed the Night King and not John. No, no. Um, but, you know, over time, I, I, you know, for a couple of days afterwards, I didn't really know how I felt about the episode. And I realized it was because I had been anticipating it so much that now the anticipation was no longer in my life. I didn't really recognize the feelings that I was having about it. But over time, I think that it's become so, it's because it's, Aya's story feels so complete to me in that moment. And then everything that kind of happens afterwards where she gives humanity a second chance, but then humanity lets her down and she's on the ground when humanity kind of falls down around her in King's Landing. And I always thought that was really, that was really beautiful. But how, how did you feel that it was, um, that it was Aya, that it was Maisie, that like, I, how did you feel in the aftermath? Like, not only could you not believe your eyes, but when the actual, the actual moment that it actually happened, how was that for you? I felt proud. I felt proud like a papa, like a dad. <laughs> <laughs> I did. And, um, and, um, and yeah, it was kind of strange, especially because 2000 people were like whooping and like, like Good. completely blown away at exactly the same time. It was kind of quite a, an intense experience. It wasn't just like watching it on your TV set. No. Um, so yeah, it was, yeah, it was really good. I liked it. I liked that she killed him. Oh, well that's, that's, that is amazing. There is an amazing video on YouTube that um, I might have to send you afterwards. And it's uh, someone who's done one of those fan edits of um, Aya's story pieced together. And there's this amazing bit where he manages to cut um, the person who's making this video. He cuts the scene where Aya leaps forward and kills the Night King. And the scene where I think it's your first scene together where Sirio throws the wooden sword at Aya and she's not anticipating it and she drops it. And uh, Sirio's line is, um, tomorrow you will catch it. And they cut that dialogue with the scene of her dropping the dagger from one hand (laughs) to the other. And it's just like, all of a sudden, it's just like this thread that just runs from season one, episode six, right through to... And I know that, I mean, to be honest, I'm not... They're clever. They're clever. I mean, I don't believe that anything is like an accident. You know, when you think about how much time you spend editing a show, and what you keep and what you don't keep. And that, you know, you watch it over and over and you go, is this, the, how long is this moment? How long, how are we going to put the music to it? You know, it, it, it embeds you, it embeds itself in your, in your psyche to such an extent that when it comes to like writing stuff like that, it's all there. There's a good reason why, you know, it was a complete accident that we ended up where we did, but it wasn't planned from the beginning. One of the one things that wasn't planned is Arya killing the Night King. There's many other things that are planned, but that wasn't one of them. That happened maybe three years before it actually did. Um, So I guess we'll get into it now. You kind of alluded to it before. Um, How, maybe divorcing it of context and all the discourse that has just been, you know, (laughs) of the fandom... How did you feel watching the, uh, the the final two seasons? The shortened. We'll we'll kind of view them as a block because they, you know they are the shortened seasons. Um, what are your thoughts about them now? Uh, reflecting on them a bit later, a little thin mm-hmm. compared to the other seasons. A little thin. Season six had its issues, uh, but but I think what they did ended up being uh i think they realized season six they'd rich they you know they didn't have enough material so that's why they were like all right seven and eight we're gonna make it uh less but i i just felt felt some th- they were just thin there was like i i i have no problem with anything that happened in the story uh i have my theories about bran being the the you know king 
at the end. In the books, this is another reason, right? Making Bran work in the TV show is tough. And I don't think they pulled it off. It has nothing to do with Isaac. Isaac is, is a fantastic performer and a, a fantastic actor. It's, it's another one of those things. How do you write a character that is all internal monologue and imagery and psychic power <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a visual manifestation, physical manifestation of that? It's really hard. In the book, it was going to work much better. I imagine it makes much more sense that book brand will become, um, you know, the ruler of Westeros. It makes a lot of sense. So I, even that, I think that, that works fine for me. Everything that happens to John, everything that happens to Danny, uh, Danny, Danny uh, wanting ultimate revenge, uh, all of that works. I just think... It, it it just didn't resonate as it should do because it was there was just huge chunks missing you know they're just huge chunks everything suddenly became abbreviated and it followed a uh, uh, a dynamic of of trying to satisfy the fans by creating moments of high tension and drama that weren't earned. They just weren't earned. And, um, and that to me is why I, I found it uh, unsatisfactory. And the only thing I can imagine is because they just didn't have the material. And so, so they're left with uh, joining the dots, you know, instead of going one, two, three, four, they just only went one, four, seven, 10, 15. I think that's what they did. And, and, uh, and like I said, where was the complexity? Where was the, the, you know, Danny burning the city to the ground should have had a huge emotional impact on people instead of us questioning why she was doing it. As soon as you're doing that, you know, you failed telling the story and, that's just that's I, I would say that because that's you know my world I, I i i read scripts and and watch films and you know i know what works and i know what doesn't work and i know it's subjective it's purely subjective but but you have to also compare it to what has gone before and i think that is its problem it 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 you know it, it didn't marry with what had gone before okay um, I, I mean, I don't, uh, I, I don't disagree um, because um, seven and eight are, I mean, seven is my least favorite season of the show um, and seven and eight are my two least favorite by a little, a little way um, from the rest, really. Um, I suppose that I, I sort of made my peace with it makes it sound like I was uh, critical, but I accepted in season five or season six, really, that the first four seasons and the last four seasons are just two, they're two different TV shows that just happen to be made by the same people, um, where it suddenly starts, and I love it for that, which is that it starts shooting for something different and that the ideas of ambition and scale are translated not necessarily through um, these kind of slow build-ups to you know over 10 episodes they're more to do with like you say providing moments that i think that because i don't believe for a second that david and dan ever did anything that they did because they couldn't be bothered or no, because they yeah. wanted to get out or anything no. like that i think that no they I mean, put their heart and soul into it yeah and that's something that kind of drives me at the wall because i think that we've been unable the thing that I feel is a little bit of a missed opportunity, which is that even people who didn't really like the ending that much, I feel like we've missed an opportunity to actually sit and analyze what happened. It feel like it got lost. The, like the same four or five points kind of get recycled by thousands of people because it's easier than actually, you know, having your own opinions about things. And yeah. 
we all just kind of moved on. And I say that, like, I mean, I say people moved on, you know, people are still very interested in the show. And like, this is, I've, I've done numerous little independent projects and this is the most one, this is the one that people have been most interested in. And there's a reason for that. And it's because Game of Thrones, I believe will, you know, it will last and people will calm down in the end and people are still very interested in the show. And there mm. is a reason for that. And I mean, but so by the end, it's not that my expectations have dropped, but I think what I, I think I more felt after the end, I mean, I cut myself off from the internet after the uh, Aya Night King stuff because I didn't know how I felt about that episode. But then the next morning, everybody had made their minds up. And I was like, oh, well, I haven't made my what mind was your, and... what was your, What was your initial, what was the thing that kind of you were resistant about? Because I, I didn't mind that episode. I just wanted more people to die. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, I love that episode. Out, I think it's beautiful. Out of, out of, um, I, I was, thought it was thrilling. I thought yeah, it was no, thrilling. I thought it was Is it simply amazing? because people didn't like the fact that John wasn't the, the prophecy? Well, I asked a, I did a little bit of research about this because I don't like doing things just because I say so but I went on a couple of subreddits and I asked and I said how would you have done John's ending if you could write the show how would you have done John's ending and I asked to get a balanced view I asked three major subreddits and I asked the two major Game of Thrones subreddits one which is the Game of Thrones subreddit which is the one where it's dedicated to the show and then you have Free Folk which is Game of Thrones but we're allowed to leak things and talk about things and the, and then i asked uh, r slash john wins the throne who is like a big john fandom and every single one of them said that they would rather john had killed the night king and then been king at the end of the show and that to me displays a fundamental misunderstanding of what game of thrones was supposed to be about that's but, exactly what i would have said i said yeah. that doesn't sound very game of and thrones. so <laughs> this is something that nikolai costa wadu sort of said where he said that you know we'd be happy to do season eight again for everybody if everybody could agree on what they wanted and because then i have i know i know there is a parallel universe where game of thrones ends all happy and john and daenerys are on the throne and it's how to train your dragon three and <laughs> we're all best mates but in that universe, I know that people are annoyed just as much because that's not Game of Thrones. Yeah. Why is it glorifying yeah. war? Why is it doing... And so, you know, there is the element that they were never going to please anyone. But yeah. I, I didn't... In, in the immediate aftermath of that long night episode, I didn't know how I felt about the episode itself. And I've come to realize that it was just because I had been waiting five years for that episode and not, no longer having to wait for it. And now it's over. I can no longer build anything up in my mind. That was the feeling. And so I watched it again and again, and I've watched it like five or six times now. And over time, I think it tells a beautiful story self-contained about Aya and how she rediscovers her humanity just at the moment yeah. where she needs to save it. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. And I think that the moment where she does it is really cathartic. Um, and But I was relieved when it was all over that as much as I was disillusioned by so much of the reaction to it, I was relieved that they went for that ending because it seemed like during season six and seven, they were drifting towards a more conventional fantasy story where you do things like go beyond the wall to get a white and then get rescued at the last minute. And it's a beautiful story about how John and Daenerys are star-crossed lovers who are going to come together and save the universe. And I was thinking like, yeah, okay. Like I get, the deeper thematic point which is that you know Daenerys John Tyrion they're all children of terrible fathers well John wasn't but you know that the, this younger generation would take the world somewhere else improve their lives and then season eight makes the point that no these people are all far too broken and far too traumatized by war to be better people and in the end maybe it's an error of the writing or maybe it's an error of people's understanding of it. But regardless, there's a miscommunication where I think that people are supposed, people think that you're supposed to view Daenerys as a villain in those final two episodes and that we needed more time to adjust to her being a villain. Whereas I personally always saw her as a tragic hero who was a good person and did lots of good things in the world. But that imagery though, failed. That imagery the Nazi imagery, the authoritarian Im imagery. I think they, that is, that's one that you see, it's really tough when you're far. using images like that. 
that's where I say they it's muddled because you could not everything. I agree with everything you said. It is true that um, she is not a villain. No one is a villain in, in Game of Thrones. But as soon as you start treating and that is that is a fault of the writing. That is them wanting their cake and eating it. They, 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 they knew it looked good. They knew the dragon and the wings behind her, <laughs> all in black. Yeah. They knew it was a, fa- a fantastic shot. But that is what happens when, when, when uh, directors and writers get indulgent. Peter Jackson does exactly the same thing in King Kong. He makes mm. his beautiful story with Andy Serkis playing the monkey and... Um, ape and uh, and uh, and and um that wonderful actress what's her name is it naomi Watts? naomi Watts. yeah yeah such a beautiful story and then he can't help himself and he puts all the bloody cga monsters in that bloody pit where they all it's mm. completely rubbish <laughs> It ruins the movie. He should just remove it. He And then he goes and makes a Hobbit and he does exactly the same thing. Directors and creative people sometimes just get too crazy about what they're doing and they need to be reined in. And that is one of those examples. They just t- changed the tone of how they, they shot those scenes, those last scenes. It would have made a complete difference, but they shot themselves in the foot. They, and I, that and that is that I'm angry about that because that is they they knew exactly what that that imagery was going to make. Was supposed feel. to yeah. I, he I, was, became an arch gothic villain. <laughs> I love the gothic. And it was too <laughs> yeah. much. It was too much, and her humanity suddenly went out the window. I think it comes back in the scene where she dies. Yeah, of um, course, because of the whole thing with, you know, that, the whole story of she dreamt about sitting on the throne. And, you know, that is like, that is, that's great. Mm. That's beautiful. It's touching. And you, for, for, you start to feel sorry for her. But, man, that is terrible pacing. If I was a script editor, I'd be like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, I think that there's a gap. That there are moments, I think, where there might need to be a gap and i i mean to be honest it sounds like um the final season unbelievably the biggest show in the world was having trouble paying to keep its stars around really um, is that happening well it, obviously it's not known for sure but there's a little line in um fire cannot kill a dragon which is james hibbard's book about the show where it sounds like they allude to the fact that it was becoming more expensive to keep people around because Hollywood was calling and it had been 10 years of their lives and people were ready to get on with their lives and do other things. And I think that also as well, that the size of the episodes themselves got bigger and bigger and bigger, that 10 episodes may not have been possible and that maybe... Eight episodes may have been possible, but to be honest, in terms of actual minutes on screen, you get about the equivalent of seven or eight episodes anyway. Yeah, you do. You do. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think my... Very interesting. Very interesting. But, you yeah, know, I, I wouldn't be not... surprised. Agents, agents suddenly kind of, you know, they can, they can smell the money. <laughs> well, maybe. And, you know, maybe that's... Well, bit... You know, it's not... The thing is that that's what happens. You know, I don't, I, I don't have that kind of... Uh, agent but no but i know that that you know sometimes when they go when they know that that they've got someone in a show and you can renegotiate the contract they're like pay it and sometimes it, they, the actor doesn't even know it's happening they don't even know what that negotiation is and um you know so who knows who knows i haven't haven't heard that at all and i didn't i wasn't aware of that that's a shame if that is if that's at all true doesn't sound like people were agitating but it sounds like this idea no this, i don't believe um, that but but you the, yeah. the people behind the scenes remember all these actors have got law- lawyered up to the hilt hmm. and their agents are, can be ruthless and i've had fights end... with agents i i've lost jobs at, over because of agents so you know hmm. you must never underestimate how ruthless that side of the profession is and sometimes the actors are completely unaware of it and i think as well that um i mean i love the final a couple of seasons anyway for different reasons season seven is one of those where you love it because you love the show that's kind of how i feel about it where there are episodes in there that i just think like 
this kind of sucks. But I love the show, so I love the episode. It's like, you know, I don't really like it. And whenever I rewatch the show, I kind of think, oh, it's this one. But, you know, it's part of a whole thing. And to have good episodes, you need to, you know, you can't recognize amazing episodes without bad ones as well. And that's the nature of television shows, where if you're making 73 things, not all of them are going to be, you know, not all of them are going to be as good. And I think that if you're, I think the, something that people also forget as well, is it comes with, through with stuff like the petition to remake the whole season and stuff like that. And it's like they're people, man, they're human beings. Like, and the, I mean, I suppose it's a testament to Game of Thrones that people forgot that people made it and that it was made on planet Earth and not, and that Westeros isn't real and that Jon Snow's not real. Yeah, I just, I just think it's all a bit non, it's nonsensical. We all know that social media has, has, has created a monster. And, it, you know, it happened with Star Wars and that was all bullshit too. It's, it's like, I do get that fans, uh, become very passionate about it but i don't believe that that outcry was that, that's not fans that's people just wanting to to have an opinion and they have a forum to have an opinion there's an ownership i, I, I believe there's it. a huge difference between fans and 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 people who just like to behave like trolls just because they can you, you see it in politics you see it um, I mean, even I've been, you know, I've, I know that I've done that, done it too, because, because you get incensed about things. I do it over politics, you know, I rage. Politics is real Twitter. world, but yeah. It, but, but it's, it, 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 it's not, it's, you know, I don't think it, it, it's not about Game of Thrones and it's not about Star Wars. It's about people suddenly realizing that they have a voice. That they've never had a voice before and they have no filter and, uh, and everything gets conflated and people start to rant and get upset about things and they find a vehicle and a funnel. Everything gets funneled into this tiny and it becomes vitriolic and, and, and really unhealthy. And it's, it's such a shame because it's really ruined the experience for a lot of people who love TV shows and films. And I, so I don't, I don't, I don't equate the fans as, those people the fans know what they know and they will have opinions that are based on what they understand and they will be you know it, it, because they care about it but i think we need to separate the two things you know the vitriol and and yeah. and the criticism are two different things i think we need to because otherwise i feel like we're we're blaming people that don't need to be blamed you know I just think there is a, there is, and of course people have their opinions and of course it's one of the biggest show in the bloody world. It's like, of course, a lot of people have seen it. have got opinions about it, yeah. but I think, I think sometimes it can all get rolled up into one big ball of, of just anger. And it's, and I don't think we need to separate those two things. Well, to be honest, that's why, um, it's why I kind of cut myself off because I was already kind of in mourning. Uh, Game of Thrones came to mean a lot to me. I kind of alluded to it before, but I found it when I was not going through a good time. And uh, by the end, I was kind of in mourning. I was anticipating the end as much as I was dreading it because I didn't want it to be over. And having all these really complex feelings wrapped up in a television show and then having a thousand million trillion people decide instantly whether it sucks or whether it's terrible. And it's difficult in the aftermath of something like that, where something you love yeah. so much, you, cause I remember watching that, the bells episode uh, with Daenerys and everything. And I sat there thinking, wow, that's bold, but I loved it. And I'm so glad that thematically they've really followed through on like the deeper elements of the story, which I thought they'd forgotten. And I thought they were going to leave behind. Yeah. And then I woke up the next morning and it was like lowest rated Game of Thrones episode ever. <laughs> this is terrible. And like, I was, I felt so very lonely during those. I watched the last, I watched the last season on my own. Um, I was just, I used to get up at two in the morning. I used to set my alarm for 1.55 AM and then sit in my bedroom in the dark. Thankfully my bedroom was a converted garage and it was away from the rest of the house. And so I watched them and like, it was amazing to just watch it on my own, but then like going on the internet and like trying to come to terms with the end of your favorite show while everybody's shitting all over it is like, <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> um, um, what so, a horrible experience. I'm yeah. so sorry for you. Um, but also so, you, you know, that, that, that 
it's it's true you know and i and i think i it's very interesting talking to sam about it because sam is i really love her perspective on the show i really really love it and yeah. it's in it's 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 uh it's illuminating and it reminds me of just why people love it and why it's a special show because you know i i love her take on 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 it and it's it's positive and open and all-encompassing and i and i think it's a shame that that what you know what happened happened but you know it feels terrible now but i guarantee you history will be kind to game of thrones ask me again in 10 years like Tyrion says it's like you know we look at how many shows have we watched and tv shows that that have been unsatisfying it's it happens all the time watching a movie and you want it to be good and it's not it's just one of those things the creative process and and creating stuff is not easy we i have done many plays that have been slated (laughs) i have been slated myself it is it is not unusual but the difference is is that suddenly you've got a whole bunch of people who suddenly it matters to them and 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 i guarantee you you'd be a terrible actor if you're that thin skinned we we develop that thick skin because every time we do something we we put ourselves on the line and it's not Mm. like you know we're going to war and we're going to risk our lives it's an ego thing but it's still it's still painful when people go well that was a bit rubbish. Well, just, uh, yeah. You know, and I remember Nikolai saying, you know, they, David and Dan were genuinely, genuinely upset by the reaction. You know, they, yeah. they, it, was, they it was the last thing expected. It's like, yeah, I've heard. where is the humanity? But listen, we are not in a good place as, as a human race right now. And it is not the fault of Game of Thrones or Star Wars. It no. is the fault. It is the fault of, of inequality and um, uh, uh, the amplification of rhetoric and anger. It's like it's turned us all into unhappy people. And this is where we are. And we need something drastic to change that. It is not going to be simple. The or Everything is symptomatic. It is not separated. This is all about what happens when we live in a world that has 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 understands understands how much everything costs but understands the value of nothing that's that's what that is that is that is that's a very good way of putting it um i did want to ask um um, because from what you were saying that you maybe weren't 100 percent satisfied by the end but that you did uh definitely at least appreciate elements of it i was just going to ask i liked um, i liked everyone's stories how everyone's stories finished i thought that was great I was just going to ask you if you had a favourite moment. A bit more, a bit more of you know of it. That's yeah, just more, more time. Yeah, to- I mean, I wanted more time. I think that you know one of my least favourite episodes of the show is the fourth episode of the eighth season because uh, it just feels like uh, that's where everything happens, where the dragon dies, Masande dies, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> everything so, yeah, happens so, yeah, at yeah, once. Yeah, um, yeah. But I did want to ask if you had a particular uh, favourite scene or moment from the final season. Yeah, episode two, the, hmm. the night before the longest night. Uh, to yeah. me, that is where it was the best episode, but it was also a really good Game of Thrones episode. Stands up with every other season. It is where we get to see the characters and you get to see them in situations where you haven't seen them for a long time or ever before. And and the anticipation of, this is why I was a bit annoyed. They should have followed through a bit more they should have killed some more of those characters off because it, it was it, it they they just didn't take the risk and and the thing is is that when you are doing Game of Thrones and you have a, an episode like that where you're saying goodbye to everyone and then not to say goodbye to everyone I'm like mm. and I just thought yeah. it was touching and witty and you know everything and the tone of it and the knighting of Brienne all of that was just beautiful it's funny you should say that actually because even though there are four episodes after it that feels like the goodbye to me and so much of it is about again I feel like if you watch A Night of the Seven Kingdoms and The Long Night as back-to-back as a one-two they form like this really long movie about 
memory and how memory makes us people and it's kind of similar to blade runner really in the sense that you know and the night king is kind of like um roy in blade runner in the sense that he wants to meet the guy who created him and destroy him very interesting yeah that's Um, really nice way of putting it and that's how i always thought it was kind of going to end with the night king that he was trying to meet his maker and to not say anything because they had an idea to make the white walkers talk but i think if the night king stands and starts talking it kind of (laughs) destroys the immersion a little bit but in his own way the night king had a motive which was that he was going to meet his maker and then destroy him and everything that represented everything that his maker represented which was memory which was humanity and it's something that sam says actually Uh, he says you know being forgotten is death is being forgotten and when you have no memory and when you've been forgotten then men are just animals. And then, you know, the, the beautiful cliffhanger I think is that um, magic leaves the world slightly with Melisandre fading away on the wind. And then Aya has saved humanity and given it a second chance, which is why, again, it's so crushing that she's in the center of it when humanity betrays itself and goes back to war. And but again, just like, you know, bit of breathing space. And I think that, I would argue that season eight is on a level with the first six seasons, but because there isn't that level of space, I still love it and I will still defend it. And it's the hill I will die on. (laughs) It's I've decided that that's, you know, if there's one thing worth dying on a hill for, it's that last season of game of Thrones, but um, it's yeah. I think that with time people will probably calm down and I'm, I'm i'm watching lost at the moment and everybody hated that and now people are kind of calming down on it and coming around to i it. loved lost yeah people hate I mean, the ending i apparently. watched it all uh, but i love the ending because i thought what else could it be well i don't i don't know the ending i'm midway through no, season and i'm not going to tell you moment. but to um, me it makes perfect sense well yeah i'm looking forward to being one of those people who thinks it makes perfect sense because i seem to pick to, <laughs> seem to pick <laughs> shows that just think well of course that makes sense like you know <laughs> But um, and be very interesting. You must tell me what you think. Of, well, yeah, um, I'd be more than happy to. Um, I, I mean, I guess you know, I could talk about this for hours, but I realised that you know, I've taken up enough of your time anyway. Um, I was going to ask you though, um, what should we look for you in in the future? If Game of Thrones fans are wanting to get more of more of Miltos, where where can we find more of that? So I am going to be, um, about a year ago, a year and a half ago, I shot the sequel to The Hitman's Bodyguard mm-hmm. with Ryan Ryan Reynolds and uh, Samuel L. Jackson. And I get to play a mafia dude cool. who tries to kill Samuel Jackson. Uh, it's not a spoiler to know that it doesn't go well. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, But that was great fun shooting that. Um, and the next thing that I'm going to be shooting, which I'm shooting at the moment, is uh, a thing for Apple TV. But mm. I can't tell you what it is because I've had to sign NDAs about it. Yeah, no problem at all. It's going to be that good. No and problem. it's got some fantastic actors in it. And uh, I get to be in the first episode. And uh, so that that's what I'm shooting at the moment. And there's some kind of little things in the pipeline, but there's nothing you know, we have to wait and see. But, you know, Hitman's Bodyguard sequel, that'll be fun. I don't know if you saw the first one, but it was really good and I really liked it. So it was great fun working with Samuel Jackson. I didn't see the first one, but I will watch it for you so that I'm ready for the second one. Yeah. When you make the appearance. Yeah. yeah, those two are amazing. And, you know, I, I got to live the dream by Samuel Jackson calling me a motherfucker. So I feel like cool. I can yeah. retire and hmm. I will have... <laughs> Don't oh, take top that. Now we've had somebody from the show uh come on to our show. I feel like, you know, where does our show go from here really? But uh <laughs> maybe we could retire. Maybe we'll just get to the red wedding and then it'd be like, right, see you guys, that's it. <laughs> but I uh I am determined to uh press on to the end. Well, anyway, um God, thank you so much for doing this. This has been a huge honor and completely unexpected and it's been dead lovely and um I should say as well that I didn't have to because it was something that you kind of alluded to before and I was going to mention that I didn't have to go through an agent to get hold of you. <laughs> like I just thought, you know what? I'll shoot a shot and see what happens and here yeah, we it's are. It's much better that way. You know, I, I, you know, I, I love talking about it and, uh, and I just love talking about all sorts of 
stuff so um you know i i enjoy it and it's great when you have some interesting debate because i really enjoyed talking about the last season i really nice hearing your uh, your perspective and and uh and you know to everyone who's listening you know i i you just have to always remember that you know making making stuff you know people don't make it lightly they make it with their hearts and their souls and it and it takes a lot of time and you know if only you realize just the amount of effort that it takes to put this stuff on it just isn't it's not done on a whim it's impossible to make it on a whim people mm-hmm. put so much so much dedication into it and we have to always always remember that that it's you know we make it with our hearts and our souls it's not just a an a, a money-making exercise. I mean, sometimes it's a money-making exercise, but the process is always fucking hard work. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be worth the money. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much for being on. Um, My absolute huge, pleasure. Huge and really have a fantastic weekend. And thank you so much for inviting me. I really enjoyed it. So, and like I, I said, when Lizzie has finished watching the series, get me back on and I want to find <laughs> out what you think. Absolutely.